untangling even more connections with Glenn Fleischman. This is Mac Voices. This edition of Mac Voices is supported by our Patreon patrons. Help support Mac Voices and gain access to the Mac Voices Slack and Mac Voices After Dark at patreon.com slash macvoices. Welcome to Mac Voices. This is the talk of the Apple community, and I'm Chuck Joyner. This is part two in a two-part conversation with Glenn Fleischman, the author of Take Control of Untangling Connections. As we said in the first part, you would think this is a pretty simple subject, but in fact, it's very geeky and Glenn is the man to handle it. This time we dig a little bit more into Thunderbolt and what it can and can't do. Glenn gives us some specific takeaways from this book and this interview, and he also touches on his Take Control of Apple ID book. Let's go back and let Glenn do the talking. I didn't expect this conversation to just turn to power, but the more we talk, the more I th- I think about little little things that, you know, as as I go to to uh, compare specs on what to buy, um, you know, I, f- I find adapters um, with, you know, multiple ports, yeah. tra- travel adapters. And, okay, so this one says it can play, uh, excuse me, power my MacBook Pro. Excuse mm-hmm. me, let me start over. It can charge my MacBook Pro 16-inch and my iPad tw- uh, M1, iPad 12-inch, you know, and my iPhone 13. Um and it can, you know, it can and do it all at once. And then you plug everything in and expect it to charge at the normal rate. Yeah. And guess what? It's charging, but it's not charging as fast as you would think it should. I've seen and that. So, I've seen that for sure, right? Because then they, you have this is a you have to read, and this is where it gets frustrating. Is sometimes you have to read, you know, four point type to figure that out in a manual that comes with it. Yeah. So, so I think the takeaway from this is not only are you having to pay attention to the ports that you're buying, but you have to pay probably even more attention to the power because the ports become yeah. kind of obvious. Yeah, I think that's right. And uh, I uh, was just thinking about the, the wattage issue is, I again, I don't think it's necessarily a problem of the past, but I do think something got solved. And I don't think I recognize that until you asked that question. Cause I'm like, Oh yeah. And I just got, I reviewed for Macworld, I think last year, late last year, ZMI, I think is the company name. They make these amazing batteries and they have a battery that can output. Again, I think it's 200 Watts, 240 Watts is the maximum. It can output a hundred Watts over two different USB C ports. It can output a slightly smaller amount, I think over a type a port with quick charge or anyway it's got this it's incredible how much power this thing stores and it's incredible how much you can output from it at the same time so this one battery pack you could conceivably recharge two apple laptops simultaneously at full charging speed without emptying it and that is totally incredible i mean i did some testing i couldn't i don't have you know it would take days to like deplete and recharge and do the whole thing but i tested um you know through the uh power output range and tested uh uh recharging discharging the recharging uh laptop i have and um and the capacity was just astounding so this is kind of a new exciting thing too is that USB-C is enabling that i should also point out like so there's the there's the ac plug and the battery side of it there's also we have this new standard coming um it's coming soon i gather or it's i guess it's been released but not equipment yet a 240 watt charging standard that's from the usb uh implementers forum so you'll at some point see devices that are marked 
uh, this device can charge at up to 240 watts and some device, or I'm sorry, that's not right. You'll have chargers rather that are marked. They can provide up to 240 watts and then you'll have laptops like the 16 inch MacBook Pro, which right now has to rely on a proprietary MagSafe 3 to USB-C cable that is not, I think, fully in USB-C compliance on the MagSafe end, certainly, um, to deliver the 140 watts that that unit can uh, can recharge at. Uh, but it's, but so in the near future, you'll have laptops. I don't know if Apple will support that through existing or upgraded USB-C ports, uh, or if it'll be other laptop manufacturers, but you'll have um, laptops that can do, or other devices that can pull in that much power directly from a USB-C charger. Wow. I didn't. I did not know about that one. It's it's hilarious. Well, I only found out about it. I think I wrote something for Tidbits when this came out. It's my recollection because the USB-C IF put out this statement. They're like, uh, and its logos like, good news. We have these new standards, and then there was just profusely. They do not. USB IF does not understand marketing and branding. I got to say, they've done such a good job with standards, and then they put too many marks out. There's so many marks. My book is full of images of all the different markings and names. Your three point, you know. 3.0, 3.1 Gen 1 and Gen 2, 3.2 Gen 1, 1 by 1, 1 by 2, 2 by 1, 2 by 2, and then USB 4 with no space in it. Let me point out, there is no space in it, and you could have USB 3.2 uh, Gen 2 by 2 with DP for DisplayPort support. And I'm like, come on, come on. Nobody wants to see all those labels. This is like, and Intel is like Thunderbolt. It's Thunderbolt. Got one mark. There's a lightning bolt, thunderbolt, and this is the Apple Apple school of thinking, right? On the one side, you have kind of the Windows world where you used to festoon laptops with logos, and the other Apple's like, nope, it's going to be an Apple, and Intel's like, nope, it's going to be a lightning bolt, and USB is like, oh, we have 14 different branding standards. Like, no, 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 just simplify, folks, because that's what people want. You don't have to provide fewer features, <laughs> but even Thunderbolt. You, know, oh. you have to be careful about power delivery versus uh, speed. I mean, yeah, I'm gonna, it, it, even they they couldn't stand not to mess with it. Well, I've got here. I've got uh, visual aids. Oh wait, may I have a do I have a white piece of paper? We're we're testing this, folks. About uh, here. I, oh, I have a I have some white here. This will work. I have white uh, cork board, so I can hold this up. So we'll get it close and see how this works. We don't knock anything over. So this is an unmarked. Is that showing up? Maybe there we go. Yeah. An unmarked USB-C cable. What does this do? Do we know what it does? We don't know what it does. It is, in fact, a Thunderbolt cable with no markings. It says Anchor on it, but there's no other markings on it. So you have to plug it in between two devices to know what it does. Um, fortunately, this is uh, this is one of the things I was very excited about. And um, I think Adam wrote an article at... Uh, I don't think I wrote I think Adam wrote an article at Tidbits about it. Thunderbolt... Four, oh, sorry, I'm sorry, let me show you one other thing first. So Thunderbolt, a Thunderbolt 3 cable should be marked. Let's see, I'm trying, trying too many different things for video. I'll hold it up in front of my hand. We'll see if we get it in focus. There we go. So uh, I get it in the center. Okay, so there Thunderbolt should have a lightning bolt and a 3 on the cable. And this is an active, I believe this is an active cable, even though it's short because, uh, oh no, I guess it's long enough to be, uh, it, uh, can carry um, 40 gigabits per second, right? And it's marked that way. And both ends have the same marking. So you can see very, uh, very exciting. Oops, sorry. Hard to figure out where my camera is. There we go. Got it. So Thunderbolt 3 on both ends of the cable. Very clear, right? Um, so you'll have both kinds of cables, right? You'll get a USB-C cable that has clearly marked, and you'll get ones that have no mark.
fault. And some have USB-C markings on them, and they don't correspond to anything. But what I was excited about is that uh, Otherworld Computing uh, has released affordable USB-4 cables, which I will note are beautifully, or sorry, Thunderbolt 4 cables that are also fully USB-C compliant. So this is the critical thing. So there's like, all it is, is a 4 and a lightning bolt. <laughs> and this is the most exciting kind of cable because um, it is the most compliant cable you can get. Uh, so USB, uh, did you ever encounter, this could come up where you had, there's two kinds of USB-C cables where you can only get 480 megabits per second out of them, either in all circumstances or some. And people write in about this all the time. It's something you encounter all the time. Apple makes, uh, do you know the USB-C charge cable that Apple makes? It's uh, You probably own some. I do. Yeah, yes. and so it's, it's only to pass power, and it only works at USB, doesn't do Thunderbolt, and it only works at 480 megabits per second. And Apple clearly labels that on their website, but if you don't have the website, you don't know it. It's very hard to find this information. So you have what looks to be a you know, USB-C cable. Surely I can do you know, 40 gigabits per second over this. No, you cannot. Not even 10. And then the other one that's insidious is the, um, this is the one that comes up all the time, is uh, Thunderbolt 3 cables came in active and passive varieties up to two feet. So a passive cable could do, gets, I'm going to select a unit of matrix. A passive cable can do 40 gigabits per second if it's 20 inches or shorter. It can do 20 gigabits per second if it's between that and 3.3, oh, sorry, a uh, uh, 6.6 .6 feet, three meters, right? So uh, if you wanted to do a longer cable and get 40 gigabits per second, you needed uh, more circuitry in the cable and you would buy an active Thunderbolt 3 cable and it could do up to three meters, 6.6 .6 feet at the full 40 gigabit per second rate. Okay, you're with me. So <laughs> if you get an active Thunderbolt 3 cable and you plug it into a USB controller on either end. So you have a, uh, an external drive that only does USB 3 point whatever, or USB 4, or you plug it into, uh, you know, to another computer or what have you, right? You're trying to connect two devices and only one of them does Thunderbolt 3 or 4. The Thunderbolt 3 active cable will only work when it's transmitting USB data at 480 megabits per second. Between two Thunderbolt devices, it'll still do 40 gigabits per second. But I've had so many people say, why am I getting such terrible performance with my external X, you know, hard drive, SSD, RAID? Like, what's going on here? Why can't I transfer data? It's so slow. What's going on? Or and it's adapter or whatever. And it's like, that's because you're using an active cable for Thunderbolt 3. So the joy, Chuck, the joy is what I write in the book, is uh, Thunderbolt 4 uh, requires that all Thunderbolt 4 certified cables uh, are um, universal. And I've tried to dig down and find the answer. Intel doesn't say that that means they're active or passive, but a Thunderbolt 4 cable that's certified also supports all USB 4 standards and also all USB 3 and even 2 with an adapter. I think you can even use USB 1.1 if you've got a old mouse lying around with a 1.1 connector on it. So the Thunderbolt 4 cable is essentially a universal cable. It'll work with all previous Thunderbolt standards with adapters or directly if it's USB-C, and it will work with, it's uh, like intercompatible with all USB standards. So finally, you have one cable. And you know the bad news is they're not cheap. They used to be the Thunderbolt uh, 3 cables were very expensive. Thunderbolt 4, I think OWC's uh, Otherworld Computing's a uh, shorter cable is like 0.8 feet is $27 and it's longest cable. 
at six something feet is uh, $59. So those aren't cheap, but you don't need many of them. <laughs> you get one or two, you have them on hand or when you're replacing cables and the cost will continue to fall as well. But I was so excited because before you could spend, I don't know, 50 to $70 on a tiny Thunderbolt 3 active cable and then still be dealing with, um, or passive cable, or I'm sorry, active cable, the shorter ones, and uh, still be dealing with these USB uh, incompatibilities. So now we have essentially a universal predictable cable. And if it's labeled Thunderbolt 4 correctly, because people making them should want to, because it's a promotion thing, because they want people to know it's a great new cable, then you know, looking at it, it will work with all your devices and it will work backwards with all your devices. Larry O'Connor from OWC was on the show uh, I guess a couple months ago now, and you know we had part of this discussion. And, oh, good, you know, yeah. It, it felt like I just I, I told Larry I said I just want to throw out all my cables and start over. That's kind of what I feel like know, too. I gotta say I bought like you, two of these new ones, and I'm like I'm just putting the other ones in a drawer, and if I have to go back and get one, I will. But you know, yeah, because it, it gets it gets so confusing and and like you say, frustrating. And you know, the one thing that always happens is at the most inconvenient time possible is going to be the time that you have the problem where the, the mm-hmm. data is not moving fast enough or something is not charging. It's always the way it works out. Yeah. So. I mean, in, you know, there's only certain circumstances which this comes up, but those are the ones, right? It's your, you're attaching external storage device of some kind, typically, and you're trying to transfer it or you're using it as a device. That's like, so somebody was, uh, someone had emailed me at one point about like, I want to use this as a boot volume for my computer, but I'm getting very slow speeds. What's going on. I'm like, Oh, it's your cable. I think not the device. They thought it was the device. Um, and that is extremely frustrating. Or, um, you know, you can have, uh, if you have the right cable, you can do computer to computer connections, peer to peer with Thunderbolt. That's how a migration assistant works. And it's a, I didn't realize, honestly, this is, you know, I learned things when I write books, you dig into the standards, Peer-to-peer mode is just a supported part of Thunderbolt uh, 3 and 4. I think it's supported in 2 as well. And it's um, it's only 10 gigabits per second, but you can set it up as a daisy chain. So if you, you could connect a bunch of computers, one through each, you know, that has two Thunderbolt ports on it, connect them all together and have a 10 gigabit per second ad hoc network, which is awesome because... 10 gigabit per second ethernet, you have to get more expensive adapters. You have to get expensive hubs. Uh, Wi-Fi can't reach those speeds. So and that's kind of a superpower that's hidden and most people don't need, but it's neat. But if you have the wrong cable, if you have a USB only cable, the Thunderbolt peer-to-peer mode doesn't work. So the USB cable connected to a USB device might pass 10 gigabits per second, but connected between two Macs won't pass anything. They won't recognize it as a connection because it's USB standards only. Uh, and, you know, again, those cables should be marked, but they aren't always. So you can go online. I put some examples in the, uh, oh, I wrote this article for Tibbetts, uh, US Befuddled. Um, I think that was last year. One of my most popular articles ever. I think it hit, that was kind of the inspiration for this book too. And we put pictures in there. I found a bunch of cables where they're being sold as USB or Thunderbolt and there's no markings on them. So once you buy them, unless you scratch something in or attach a tag, a permanent tag, you won't know unless you can find two devices to plug it into and then use system information uh, in Mac OS or something like that to see. There, there's no, uh, people ask tremendously after that article, a lot of people ask this question, isn't there some kind of cable tester? And I know there are in the industry. You could buy, I'm sure it's a $20,000 device and you plug stuff in and it tells you runs protocols over it, right? But your cable tester is system information in Mac OS. If you plug something into your Mac and you plug it into something else, you can look at Thunderbolt or USB bus in the listing or 
with newer Macs Thunderbolt 4 slash USB 3 or other combinations, and it'll show you everything connected, and it'll tell you the speed of the connection. So that's my last resort is I can't figure it out. I'm like, all right, do I have a Thunderbolt device? All right, that is a Thunderbolt controller. Controller. I'll plug it in with this cable. I'll go to system information, and it'll be like, all right, this is running at 5 gigabits per second, not 40. So obviously, this is a USB cable or 10 or whatever. This is a USB cable. It doesn't do Thunderbolt standards. But it's kind of frustrating for it to come to that. Today's edition of Mac Voices is supported by our Patreon sponsors. Support Mac Voices at any level and gain access to the Mac Voices Slack, where you can interact with the Mac Voices live crew, participate in our discussions, and get your questions answered. You also get access to Mac Voices After Dark, the uncensored, unscripted, and always enjoyable discussions before and after the Mac Voices live show. Sign up at patreon.com slash macvoices, and thanks for supporting Mac Voices. Folks, at this, at this point in the interview, I would usually, you know, say, Glenn, why does anybody need to buy this book? If you <laughs> haven't been convinced by this discussion, then you're, we're not going to get you. But, I, I mean, I've learned a number of things here. I, the thing, my, like I said before, my biggest takeaway is I'm going to start paying more attention to the power specs um, mm, than mm-hmm. ports. Um, because that's, I, I, I kind of knew it. I just hadn't thought about it in those terms. And... And, and and we also learned that you can't you you probably with a couple of rare exceptions you can't do any damage by just plugging in anything to anything as long as the ports fit. To the see other thing it works. I, the other takeaway I would say is that what's great is that Thunderbolt four and USB four have not converged, but they're as close as they could be and the closest they've ever been. So uh, Thunderbolt four slash USB four cable is a universal cable. It'll work with almost everything at the top possible speed between any two devices you plug in, which is amazing. And so Thunderbolt Thunderbolt 4 is fully compatible with USB 4, although it doesn't have to support, if you have a Thunderbolt 4 controller like we do in modern Macs, they don't have to support the highest data rates possible with USB 4, but they have to be compatible with them. It's uh, I think it's optional, but they can't reject a USB 4 you know, cable or connection or whatever. So... Um, but because Apple is supporting USB 4 and Thunderbolt 4, it means you can get, uh, I think Apple's only doing 20 gigabits per second over USB 4. That's the, there's an option for a higher rate. And then you get 40 gigabits per second, the native rate for Thunderbolt 4 um, with a single port. You can plug in any older USB device. You can plug in any older Thunderbolt device. It may require an adapter, but you'll get the best speed. Uh, so anything you can plug in with the Thunderbolt 4 USB 4 cable will operate at the highest data rate between two devices. Anything you plug in with an adapter will be backwards compatible. That's amazing. And just here's the little thing I learned too. I was trying to formulate this is Thunderbolt 4 is compatible with all USB standards through three, and it has to support four. It has to not like reject USB four connections. It has to be compatible with them. USB four is basically Thunderbolt three. Intel made it free for licensing or without licensing fees. So the USB implementer forum, the latest flavor of USB four is basically you Thunderbolt three. <laughs> you have to wrap your head around that. So it's not all the features of Thunderbolt because there are some things that only Thunderbolt 4 has, but from the data transfer standpoint, USB 4 is basically the old Thunderbolt 3 standard with a few extra things for USB. Thunderbolt 4 is the same old Thunderbolt standard we're we're used to, plus more compatibility with USB. 
Um, it's a great move. I mean, I don't know if USB 5 and Thunderbolt 5 will be one standard. It would seem to make sense, but there must be licensing or there must be some issue that's keeping it from happening. But um, it seems like the right evolution. You have one standard because they're barely different now. Thun Intel USB 4 is... is <laughs> I'm doing... USB 4 is the same data transfer standard. Excuse me. Did I say that right? As yeah, Thunderbolt that's right. 3. That's right. So if you took okay. Thunderbolt 3 and you didn't do, there's a bunch of extras. So the, Intel has this interesting presentation I found early in researching the book, which is basically it's, why do, why should we all move to Thunderbolt 4? What are the advantages? And there's things like always 40 gigabits per second. Thunderbolt 3 could have a 20 gigabit per second mode with the controller and, the, and a certain cable. It's always two 4K monitors or greater. Like you can rely on that from an adapter. It's always 100 watts from one port on a computer. It's, um, forget, there's a couple of, oh, it supports external 40 gigabit per second hub speeds. You can have up to three Thunderbolt ports on an external hub. And there's a few other uh, more technical things, but these are all things that Intel says, this is what makes us better than USB 4, right? USB 4 doesn't have all these things. And USB 4 is like, we're compatible with everything. We work with everything forward and backward. We work with Thunderbolt 3. We're kind of on top of things. We don't have these extras, but it's cheaper to implement is my guess, because I think that's why it continues to be so dominant. Because otherwise you'd say, why wouldn't everyone go with an Intel standard? It's because they have to license something from Intel. They have to put an, an Intel module in their computer or other device. I think USB is cheaper to implement and cheaper to license and cheaper to certify, I have to believe, because otherwise there's no reason not to do it. Um, here's an excellent case though, which is, uh, uh, discuss this in the book, because this came up for me. Uh, SSDs, you know, there's two classes of SSDs. There's the ones that use the older SATA standard, which was also used by hard drives. They'll plug into a SATA interface, uh, SATA 3, I don't think 4. And um, they can operate uh, with uh, four or 500 megabytes per second, I think is the maximum rate, somewhere in that range. But the newer ones that use the, oh, I'm going to forget the standard, it's the uh, e, uh, NVMe, you'll help me, All right, it's a mm -hmm. U.2. I can't remember the exact standard names, but it's um, it's Thunderbolt compatible, right? You can plug, there are Thunderbolt controllers that go along with these higher speed, uh, higher speed uh, data interface. And so those can do like 1500 to 7,000 megabits per second. So the question would be, why would you use an older SSD if you get this newer one? It's like, it's cost. So I bought a Thunderbolt 3 uh, SSD with a terabyte in it back when I was using my iMac because I had a fusion drive in my iMac and the data rate, you know, it was, I think it was, oh, I can't remember what it was, 50 times, a hundred times faster than the fusion drive. So that became my boot drive. And I wanted Thunderbolt three because I wanted to go not up five or 10 times to the SATA speed, uh, over USB three. I wanted to go up like a hundred times, whatever, 50, hundred times to Thunderbolt and get that advantage from the uh, NVMe format. Um, but those are two or three times as expensive, the drive or the drive in the enclosure to reach that speed. So I want, I had this related problem is a terabyte doesn't include my photos library. So I have my photos library on an external hard drive. It runs so slow. And I limped through this for a year. It was making me really unhappy. And then I thought, wait, I'm a foolish person. I can buy an SSD with a SATA interface plug it in over USB 3.1 and I'll still get a 10 to 20 fold improvement. And it's only about, I forget what I spent a hundred and something dollars and I got a one terabyte 
SSD and SATA format. So I don't want to use as my boot volume for, for dealing with photos. Suddenly photos is useful again. It syncs in real time. I can open stuff. I can export. It was amazing. And so now I've got, you know, I've got two eight terabyte hard drives on my system. I've got one external ter one terabyte SSD over Thunderbolt. I've got one external SSD over USB 3.1 and I've got the internal drive. Chuck, I think it's a problem, but, but it all works <laughs> together between time machine and offline storage backups and my knees. I just, I don't, you know, none of us are made of money and I didn't want to spend $300 for my photos library, but a hundred was a huge improvement in my life and, uh, and throughput. So that's it, but that's the case. So like, why would you go, I guess that's why I was an asking and answering a question or answering, answering, asking and answering yeah, is, um, there's still a reason for USB because it can be more affordable and particularly paired in that situation. You know, if it's a hundred versus 300 for an external drive and the difference in speed is, you know, is noticeable, but you don't need the higher speed. Well, then USB provides an affordable op opportunity. You know, USB three or four drive may still have a niche for that kind of use where Thunderbolt may still be the premium higher end version because it supports higher data rates uh, for these higher speed SSDs or for RAID arrays. And that may be one of the most important things we 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 say here is you know make sure you understand what your use case is, um, and you know yes yeah. obviously if you spend more money you're future proofing yourself to some degree, but at the same time you know you can take that money invested in Apple stock and then be able to yeah. buy the next great thing. That's great. So, I know if we if we'd just taken uh, ten dollars every time we bought a Mac and put it in Apple stock we'd be millionaires. But wish we, we didn't have even, that foresight. Yeah, it's, it's every, too every bad. Dollar you put a dollar on stock, right? These are you, you can't have these. Uh, this isn't how normal people think, so we can't do it. No. Can't do it. I so the book is Take Control of Untangling Connections, and I hope we've untangled a little bit here, or at least we've given you an idea of some of the things. This um, is what yeah. I'm contending with. Ah! <laughs> there, there it is. That, that was what, what – that's the cost of the book right there. That's right. Uh, um, TakeControlBooks.com. Glenn, how much is this book? You have to ask me yeah. a question. Was it's nine ninety nine? You know why it's nine ninety nine? It's a hundred and twenty odd pages, and normally we pay we price it a little bit higher. And I thought this book is too much technical stuff in it to force people to pay an extra two dollars. So it's nine dollars and ninety nine cents. It was my logic, uh, Joe's. Uh, and I, I hope it's a book that people. You know, we don't know how people use our books all the time. Like we get feedback, but we don't do tons of polling or whatever. We write things that people ask us to write and, and sometimes they buy them. Um, but I'm hoping this is a reference book that people can have, you know, virtually at hand. So when you're like, I'm trying to buy, I mean, particularly, you, you know, you'll use it when you're, I mean, I now I'm going back to my own book because I did all my research and I poured it into my book. So the other day I was like, how does this thing work? And I'm like, I wrote a book about this. I don't have to research it again. I can look in my book. And I hope people will wind up having that same feeling like you're solving current problems. I learned a lot writing it that solved some of my issues with a few networking situ or not networking connection situations. I bought some new cables that I'm really happy about. Um, but also now when I have a question about this, I don't have to look up what DisplayPort 1.2 standard is. It's in my book. And I'm like, oh, that's right. I need, you know, we didn't even get into this, but like you need certain kinds of cables with DisplayPort and HDMI to support, like if you want to do 4K, you have a certain kind. You don't need to be gold-plated but it has to be a certain kind. So I'm like, what do I need an ultra HD plus max cable? I'm like, it's in my book. I just go and I don't, I don't go Google anymore. I can just find it there. So I hope it could be useful for people as a go-to guide and we'll just update it. You know, standards evolve relatively slowly, but we'll just keep updating it um, for the next, you know, hundred years, let's say. 
<laughs> you just said it. I mean, this this is a great reference book because, you know, if I think people's heads are going to be swimming. I know mine are when we start talking about the all the point one differences, and you know, so what what is it that I have in my hand, and what can I do with it, and you know, therefore, do I need to buy a new cable? Do I need to buy a new dock? Do I need to buy a new Mac oh to accomplish what I'm trying to accomplish? So. Thank you, thank you for doing all this research and all this work and sharing it with us. Um, it's this, my this pleasure. Blown my mind. <laughs> well, this is you know we like I say we look for pain points and one of the you know I'll tell you this is just in, in passing. One of the big pain points a few years ago from people was Apple ID. They're like Apple ID is a mess. I have so many problems with it. It's still you know they they finally you notice that Apple uh, if you haven't had a login for a while you might not have noticed this. Apple updated the Apple ID site a few months ago. It used to be this uh, this weird picture for like eight years. This woman like reaching and touching something. I'm like, you could certainly rotate the photo through, right? But it was a weird, funky site. It felt like they put it together in a weekend. And it was the site you had to go to for a lot of Apple ID management stuff that didn't fall inside of iCloud. Well, suddenly, a few months ago, Apple's like, boom, here's a new site. I had to revise my book. I'm happy to do that because it's so much better. And it's like, it's neat. It's clean. It's modern. You can find everything. It works. Everything is explicable. Everything acts in the right way. It's organized the way people think. And I thought, oh, my God, Apple can sometimes change. Maybe behind the scenes, they're working on it to make Apple ID better. But but the pain point was people said we were constantly wrestling. They had so many questions, merging Apple ID accounts, splitting them. So we wrote I wrote a book about Apple ID. It's now in its third edition, I think, because of significant uh, changes that have come, like hide my email and so forth. And um, I feel like it's one of the most rewarding books I've written. It's sold very well by our standards, and um, I get great email from people, but I feel like it's it shaved off so many of the sharp edges <laughs> where there's questions people ask over and over again. I'm like, I have an answer for you. So this book falls in that same category where some of my books, you know, it's like, well, how do you prepare for security? What do you do to make sure your encryption set up? Is two-factor, you know, they're, they're broader topics and they're um, a little more, I don't know, like global or they're like, you have to, they're things you think through and work through um, or how do I protect my privacy or what's the configuration Safari? The Apple ID book and this untangling book are both like, no, here, okay, you need to know a thing. I have a solution for you. And I'm so happy I do. Buy this cable, get this thing, switch this, get this adapter. And you're, and you can just do the thing you want to do and you're done. And it's, I don't know, it's as an author, it's very exciting to have books like that, that are just answer questions so directly. Well, this is one that definitely goes on the, uh, the virtual shelf, um, since it's an <laughs> ebook, um, <laughs> But a virtual show, a re reference, because, yeah, I know, I, I think I'm going to have to get the book, go through it, and then go through my stash of cables that's in the basement, so, and then label them. That's right. Oh, yeah, just, don't, yeah, don't throw them out. See, other people will yeah. use them. If you don't need your old USB cables, give them to other people, because they're still in demand. The old cables die, and people will want a new, a good new one. Uh, I'm sure there are uh, schools and other places that would take them, but I'm, I'm, uh, I try to purge my, those photos I took of SCSI connectors, that was when I was uh, giving them away. I think I gave a box <laughs> them away to somebody uh, who was like, oh, I still have a lot of SCSI devices. I'm like, here you go. They cost thousand dollars over 10 years and they're yours free you know that same kind of thing just get them out and amen. use them use them for uh, something in the future yep amen um glenn uh, give us a quick rundown on where else folks can find you because i know you've mentioned oh. mac 911 you've mentioned tidbits of course um wh where else uh, can folks find what you're doing 
Oh gosh, these days I'm doing, uh, I think as, as you know, I've been doing a lot of typewriting and point to a thing over my shoulder, the Tiny Type Museum, which is my project of, uh, since 2019, it's uh, sold out now. So it's all those units have been uh, these collections of type artifacts. Uh, I'm very excited because that was a, it's a huge undertaking and uh, it's sold, but I still have, uh, I'm still do a lot of writing about type and printing history, trying to make it relevant, doing projects in uh, with 2D laser cutting, 3D printing, uh, just, just completed a project to make a replica through 3D scanning and then modeling and printing of a type artifact that's in sort of short supply. It's hard to get your hands on it. Uh, so I did a Kickstarter for that and um, folks funded it. And it was a very interesting process to kind of meld, you know, 19th century technology, early 20th century technology with uh I did both, um, you know, working with 3D modeling tools. Uh, I had other people do the scanning. I don't have a 3D scanner, which is a very complicated and exciting thing. Uh, but I have a 3D printer at home that's a kind of cons above consumer grade, mid-range one. So I could prototype on that. And then I sent it out to a service bureau to get it printed in metal. You can get stuff printed in metal. It's been true for a while, but I think the cost has come down. So um, it's uh, that was really cool. So if you want to find out about that kind of nonsense, if you go to... Uh, my, my, I need to get a better URL for my blog, but if you go to glennf.com, G-L-E-N-N-F-like-frank.com, you find all about me, and there's a link to my blog there, which is glog, G-L-O-G, glennf.com. I, I don't know why I haven't thought about this. I can't say it aloud very well. I need a better URL for the, for the blog, don't I? Uh, but that's where I'm doing most of my stuff. I'm writing mostly for Macworld these days and tidbits, doing a lot of take control books and uh, researching stuff in the 19th century. Very fun. Great. We'll come back when uh, the next Take Control book is ready. You're always welcome. I always learn something, and I know uh, every time that you're on, people email me and say, more Glenn, more Glenn. Oh, I love that. So, Thank you. Thank you, everyone watching. I appreciate that very much, and I appreciate you, Chuck. Thanks for having me on. Thank you. Folks, I'm Chuck Joyner. This is Mac Voices. My head is still spinning after this conversation, um, but I feel like I learned a lot of things, and I hope you did too. And if you have questions about what you can plug into what and what's not charging or what is charging, Glenn's book is the one you want to get. Until the next time, and as always, thanks for watching. Visit macvoices.com for show notes and to connect with Chuck on social media. Get involved in our Facebook group or like our Facebook page and get more out of your Apple tech with Mac Voices Magazine, free on Flipboard and on the web. And if you find value in it all, consider supporting us through either our Patreon campaign at patreon.com slash macvoices or by making a one-time donation via the PayPal link on our front page and in the show notes of each episode. You will join these fine people who help bring you Mac Voices. Advertising handled by Backbeat Media at backbeatmedia.com. Bandwidth provided by Cashfly at cashfly.com.